Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our loss to Spartak Moscow on Wednesday. And in part two, we'll preview our next big match, which is against Lazio on Sunday. So let's start with our Europa League match on Wednesday. This match was played in the snow in what looked like a very cold Otkirti Bank Arena in Moscow. The snow was shoveled off the pitch before the match, and just in case there was any accumulation, they used the classic orange ball and the lines were painted orange as well. Spartak won the match 2-1 on a brace by Alexander Sobolev. Elif Almas scored the lone goal for Napoli, so he scored in both matches against Spartak, and we lost both of those matches. As Spartak's Twitter account correctly pointed out, Spartak now have more wins against Napoli this season than literally every other club in the world combined. Of course, the only other loss we have this year was to Inted in our most recent Serie A match. That also means this is the longest stretch of games we've gone this season without a win, That stat was fine, but I'm not a fan of all the trolling the account did before and after this match. I know they're just messing around, but I think that's really unprofessional, and I'm glad our accounts don't get involved with that nonsense. Now, we can point to a number of reasons why Napoli lost this match, but I would narrow it down to three. The playing conditions, the injuries, and the goalkeeping from Alexander Selikov. Just like last season when the circumstances were eerily similar, I saw a lot of our fans already having meltdowns, and I think that's premature. We'll cover all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's get to the starting lineups. 
Spartak started the exact same squad they started against Leicester City in their previous match, which is what we were expecting. They lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Alexander Selikov in goal. Jorgi Zakia started in the center of the back three with Samuel Guijo to his left and Maximiliano Kofrias to his right. Ayrton Lucas started at left wing back and Victor Moses started at right wing back. Ruslan Litvinov, Mikhail Ignatov and Roman Zobonin started in the center of the midfield. And finally Alexander Sobolev and Quincy Promise started up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made a number of changes to the squad he fielded against Inter and compared to what we were expecting, he lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Alex Meret in goal. Juan Jesus started at centre-back over Amir Rachmani, so Kaladu Koulibaly shifted over to play centre-right and Jesus played centre-left. This was Koulibaly's 300th appearance in a Napoli shirt. We were expecting Jesus to play at left back to give Mario Rui a rest, but Mario Rui ended up starting and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. We were also expecting Stanislav Lobotka and Fabian Ruiz to start in the double pivot, but Spalletti said after the match that Fabian had a minor issue. He added that he could have played him for the final 15 minutes of the match, but it wasn't worth the risk. Instead, he dropped Zielinski into the double pivot and played Dries Mertens in the number 10. As expected, with Insignia not traveling with the team and Politano recovering from COVID, Elif Elmas started on the left wing and Chucky Lozano started on the right wing. And finally, Andrea Pitania started over the injured Victor Osimhen up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's revisit our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match was that we needed to watch out for Spartak's star players, namely Moses, Promiz, and Sobolev. We definitely did not achieve this one. Promiz won the penalty, which was converted by Sobolev. There's not a whole lot to break down with this goal. I don't think there's any doubt about whether or not that was a penalty. Promiz made a slight drop of the shoulder and Lobotka bit, and then Lobotka caught Promiz when he cut in. I'll talk a bit more about the playing conditions in a moment, but I think that played a role in the build-up to the goal. Napoli made a couple of poor passes, I think because of the pitch, and we effectively pinned ourselves in our own half. First, Lobotka mishit his pass for Koulibaly. That forced Koulibaly to rush his pass to Juan Jesus, which wasn't a great pass either. Then instead of taking a touch, Jesus let the ball bounce and it skipped past him towards our corner flag. A few passes later, Lobotka made another poor pass intended for Elmas, which resulted in us conceding possession. Spartak made four passes before Lobotka fouled Promise. Sobolev converted the penalty beautifully, picking the top corner. He also scored the second Spartak goal as well. That play started with Ignatov making a lovely drop of the shoulder to shed Elmas, which allowed Spartak to get forward. Kafriaz and Ignatov made some nice quick passes in a tight spot on the sidelines to get the ball to Moses. He twisted and turned before crossing the ball to Sobolev, who scored on the header. Both Mario Rui and Koulibaly were frustrated on the play, but in truth, they were probably more frustrated with themselves than anything. Mario Rui got turned inside out by Moses, and Koulibaly simply misread the flight of the ball on the cross. With Koulibaly, I wonder if that was partly because he was playing somewhat out of position. He typically plays center left, which means playing closer to the first post, whereas in this match, he played center right. It was a fantastic header by Sobolev, though. He had to lean slightly back to wrap his head around the ball. 
He head the ball down into the ground, which always makes it difficult for the keeper to save. Again, the ball skips on that wet surface, which made it more difficult to stop, but I do also wonder whether Ospina might have got in there. Ospina has a penchant for making big saves when you need him to, while that seems to happen less frequently with Medet in goal. So Moses, Promes, and Sobolev were all involved in the two goals, which means we did not achieve this key. Both of those goals came from the right wing, which means we also didn't achieve our third key to the match, which was to defend the right side. My final key to the match was that we needed to play smart. I'm going to call this one a push. I think on one hand, we conserved energy by design. I mentioned in my preview that Insignia did not travel with the team because of a minor knee issue. And as I said earlier, Fabian also did not play. We also played Juan Jesus over Amir Rachmani. On the other hand, because we had so few options and because we were behind for the entire match, we asked a lot of the players who did play. We made only one substitution in the match, which was to replace Lobotka with Rachmani. Spalletti had to get creative there. He switched to a three-man backline and moved Mario Rui, of all people, into the midfield. Now, it's probably fine that Jesus and Elmas played the full 90 minutes because I don't expect either of them to start against Lazio. We'll talk more about that in part 2, but with Fabian likely back for that match, Zielinski would move back to the number 10. That means only one of Mertens or Petania would have to start against Lazio as well. Koulibaly and Di Lorenzo are machines, so I'm not terribly concerned about them, but I suspect Mario Rui, Zielinski, and Lozano will all be less than 100%. Thankfully, this game was played on a Wednesday instead of the usual Thursday, so we'll have an extra day of rest compared to Lazio. So we didn't achieve any of our keys to the match, which is consistent with the result. Now, I mentioned that some people were beginning to have meltdowns after this result, and it reminded me of this time last season when we were ravaged by injuries and struggled to get results. Personally, I'm not too concerned with this result given the circumstances. The surface was very slick. You could see the players were being very tentative in their movements on the pitch, especially in the opening stages of the match. Now, obviously, the playing conditions affect both teams, but Spartak play in Russia, so they're accustomed to these conditions. I mentioned the poor passes we made on the first goal. That was something we struggled with pretty much all match, especially in the first half. I thought we were playing too many balls in the air, which you generally want to avoid on a fast pitch. Everyone jumped on Zielinski when he skied his shot way over the bar in the second half, but the reason that happened was because the pass wasn't rolled to him, it was chipped to him. Now, if we were playing on a normal surface, he probably would have connected more fully on the shot, but you could see the ball skipped up on him, which is why he got underneath it like he did. But it wasn't just the playing surface that caused problems, it was also the fact that we were forced to play a number of players who either haven't played much this season, or were playing out of position. Juan Jesus doesn't have the same chemistry with Koulibaly that Rachmani does. Elmas doesn't have the same chemistry with Mario Rui that Insigne does. Mertens and Petania don't have the same chemistry with the wingers that Osiman and Zielinski do. We saw this time and time again in this match. We saw players mishitting their passes. We saw players making runs when the ball carrier was expecting them to come to the ball. We saw heavy touches. That was causing a lot of frustration, which you could see in the player's body language. We continuously saw players throwing their hands up in the air in frustration. The only player who I saw that was encouraging his teammates was Mertens. And then, of course, there was the play of Selikov in goal for Spartak. He made five massive saves in this match. First, there was the double save on Elmas in the first half. Then there was the save on Zielinski where he put up a strong hand to keep it out. Then in the second half he made a big save on Mertens and then again on Almas. 
one near the start of the half and the other near the end of it. I think on another night, at least one of those shots finds the back of the goal and we get at least a draw, if not a win. Not to take anything away from Selikov, but I thought two of those saves were a bit fortunate. The second one on Almas and then the one on Zielinski. At the very least, they were unorthodox. He just threw out a limb and somehow he made the save. What I will say is that the second half was far better than the first, which was encouraging, just like the final 15 minutes of the Inter match were. I'm not sure what Spalletti said at the break, but we seemed much more calm, much more controlled. I think had we played the entire match that way, we probably would have won. Now, Spartak also sat back at the start of the second half, which played in our favor, and as soon as we scored, they pushed forward and nearly scored a third. But all things considered, I don't think we need to be too alarmed with this performance. If we lose to Lazio on Sunday, then we'd have more reason to be concerned. Before I wrap up part 1, there was a bit of drama at the end of the match as well. Rui Vittoria went over to shake Spalletti's hand and Spalletti snubbed him. Spalletti was asked about that after the match and he said it's customary for managers to greet each other before the match and Vittoria did not do that. It's easy for a manager to come shake hands after he's won. Vittoria rebutted saying that Spalletti's a liar because he did go over to the Napoli bench before the match but Spalletti wasn't there. I feel like if you really wanted to greet him it wouldn't have been that difficult. You stand 10 feet apart during the match but anyways they're adults it's not the end of the world. With the loss and with Leicester beating Legia Warsaw on Wednesday we dropped to third in the table. We're tied with Spartak on 7 points but they own the tiebreak having won both head-to-head matches against us. Leicester are top of the table on 8 points and Legia are bottom of the table on 6 points. That's about as tight as a group is going to get with only 2 points separating top from bottom. So that means to stay in the competition we absolutely must beat Leicester City at the Maradona. If we do and Spartak drop points to Legia we would finish top of the group. That would be huge because the winner of the group advances straight to the round of 16. If we win but Spartak also win then Spartak would top the group, we'd finish in second, Leicester would finish in third, and Legia would finish in fourth. That would mean playing in the playoff, which is far from ideal considering the injuries we have. The playoff is a two-legged tie, so we'd be playing two more games than we would have if we won the group. The worst thing that can happen is we draw or lose to Leicester City and Spartak beat Legia. In both cases, Spartak would win the group, Leicester would finish second, we would finish third, and Legia would finish fourth. That would mean we'd be relegated to the dreaded UEFA Conference League, which is frankly not worth the energy. If you want to see all the other matchup combinations, check out my Twitter account. I posted it there. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview our match against Lazio. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Next, we'll preview our match against Lazio on Sunday, and I'm joined by a guest to help me with this preview. He is a writer for the Laziali World Football Index and many other websites. He's also one of the two hosts of the Calcio Connection podcast. Jerry Mancini, welcome to Fortinopoli. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, so most people know that you're a massive Lazio fan, which is why I brought you on to preview this match. Before we get to the match itself, though, I want to talk a little bit about Lazio's season so far. You come into this match sitting in sixth place with 21 points. That's one point behind Roma, level with Fiorentina and Juventus, and two points clear of Hellas Verona. 
considering all the change that happened at Lazio over the summer, most notably Maurizio Sarri replacing Simone Inzaghi, are you happy with how Lazio have started the season so far? It's a transition. Um, I think a lot of people are very reactionary when they see two losses and then they see a win and then they see a draw. I think we were a little bit spoiled in a way under Simone Inzaghi and his five seasons kept Lazio very competitive, let's say. Now with sorry, it's more it's going to be a, be a rocky road where there'll be good days, there'll be bad days. Uh, we saw on Thursday in the Europa League that they looked very convincing, but then on the, over the weekend they looked really frustrating against Juventus. So you're you're going to get that. But prior to that, with four matches where they played very good football under Sari and moving the ball very well, and a lot of that has to do with Sari slowly finding out which players actually suit best to his style of play and. Most notably, we'll say Daniel Cataldi, where he didn't start for the majority of the season, but in recent times has taken over that Regista role over Lucas Leva. And I think that there's a situation there where Sarri's getting his feet wet, and now that has really benefited Lazio. I think the most important thing is that we need to be patient this season and uh, have to understand that the players need time to adapt under Sarri. And it, like Sunday, I wouldn't be surprised if they were amazing or if they were poor. Like you don't know what you're gonna get, so it's a process. With sorry, I, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think that's a pretty good record considering you've changed managers. I mean, it's hard enough to change the manager, but it's even harder when they play with an entirely different system. You mentioned that system. I want to ask you, because Inzaghi played with a 3-5-2, and of course, Sadi plays with a 4-3-3. Besides the formation, though, how do you think Sadi's Lazio differs from Inzaghi's in terms of the playing style? I think with, with Inzaghi, it's more attack-minded, where the defense was always an issue. It, it, there was always a kind of that gaping hole where we were exploited and, and kind of... T- beat it on the counterattack or if there was a situation where there was like that defensive mishaps where with sorry he's really defensive minded he, he really wants his players to track back to get back into position to kind of protect the ball shield it and, and, and regain possession and on the attack it's not just go down the wings go up the middle it's possession based where you have to make those quick passes and we're seeing that from Luis Alberto. I thought in the, in the previous match that was something that really stood out to me because earlier in the season he, he was benched and people said that, oh, how do you bench Alberto and not playing with Malinkovic Savage? Well, it's not that he doesn't think that the two can't play together. He knows that those are his two best midfielders. But if the player is not listening to what his instructions are, then he doesn't care if it, if his name's Alberto. He's going to bench him. And you're starting to see him more track back to help the defense, show an effort to run back, um, not being the guy who just holds the ball and, and takes five seconds to make the pass. And I thought that that was something that he kind of improved compared to the game against Juventus. And that, that's very important for Alberto in order to try to play well under sorry he needs to be quicker with his passes where under Simone Inzaghi he had the the space and the the time to make those 
precise passes because he had more of a um, different system under Zagi where he allowed him to not make those quick passes and work in the transition. So I think that's been something that has helped a lot. Yeah, I think maybe in a, a five-man midfield, a guy like Luis Alberto could probably get away with having less of a defensive responsibility. But you're absolutely right. Sadi's style is try to win the ball back as quickly as you can when you lose it, which means pressing a lot, tracking back. And when you only have three players in the midfield, that means everybody has to do it. And we also know that Luis Alberto's not exactly a great listener. He can be pretty stubborn at times. He's a bit of a difficult guy in the dressing room. And Sadi's not going to put up with that. It's just, he doesn't care what your name is. You're going to, you're going to do things his way. I think there's obviously room for improvement. We're only 13, 14 games into the season, but we've seen already moments where we see Lazio playing Sadi ball with the quick passes and, and beautiful football. The big surprise for me, knowing how Sadi was at Napoli is that he's actually rotating his players more. And just this week for the Europa League, he made five changes to the squad that he fielded against Juventus. Have you been surprised to see Sadi rotating his squad as much as he has? Yes, absolutely. Compared to what Simone Inzaghi did, 100%. And this is no disrespect to Simone Inzaghi. I think you're seeing the quality of what Maurizio Sarri can do and understanding his players compared to what Inzaghi did, where he always relied on Savage, Alberto, every single game and never using the likes of Velan Beresha, was sold to the legal. I forgot who it was. I think Ren, but uh, that was a player, for instance, that just never worked out because Nzagi just never used him, and he was always really dependent on players and didn't always get the best out of certain guys that could have maybe alleviate those minutes in order for his key players to produce in key matches. I think Sari's done that really well, and and he's addressed it too much more than Inzaghi has in the past where he's mentioned that the scheduling is just not made right. Not And not just for his team, he's saying. He's saying for all teams. Look at how Napoli had to play off two days and have to go into to Moscow and, and, and have to, like, into Russia, sorry, and have to play a game. And then, yeah, okay, fine. They had an extra day of rest compared a lot to what when you counter it, it's like they still were at a disadvantage in the Europa League. And that that can cause injuries even worse than what Lazio has to because they have that extra day of rest. So that's another thing where I think that Sari doesn't have a full elite squad. And I think that he's utilizing what he has in order to make sure that the likes of, like I said earlier, Savage and Alberto and Immobile, actually not Immobile actually, say, Cataldi as well now, where he used Lucas Lebon's on Thursday, and, and he's trying to keep the minutes low. So now on Sunday, he has a fresh Cataldi to start the match. He has a fresh Savage to start the match. Um, I think the one player who are, he hasn't really benched a lot lately since the retiro is Luis Alberto, surprisingly. And I think the more I, I look at that, as much as what the headlines have said about the two, I think that Sorry, really values Alberto in his in his midfield, and he knows what he can do, and he has the ability to play Sorry ball. Like we said earlier, the only thing that 
Alberto needs to figure out is how to make those passes quicker. Like if he can't improve his decision making, I think that will make him a perfect midfielder in a sorry ball system. Yeah, I always thought Luis Alberto would be perfect for Sadi Ball because he's a skill guy. He has such a great touch. But I agree, he he does have a tendency to take too many touches on the ball, and that doesn't work really well for Sadi Ball. Going back to the rotation, one of the players that was rotated into the squad was Chiro Immobile. He wasn't fit against Juve, and Lazio really struggled to create anything in the attack in that match. He returned and scored a doppietta in the Europa League, both goals coming from the penalty spot. He played 66 minutes before Vedat Murici replaced him. What did you make of Immobile's performance against Lokomotiv Moscow? Looks like he wasn't injured at all. It's, it's funny. Carlo Garganeza said, I think, last season that at the age of 30, strikers tend to kind of start to drop off. And their performances and, and quality, like they're, they're finishing, everything, it drops. I don't see that with Immobile. I don't know how he's managed to keep everything afloat, but um, at 31 years old, he's got, I believe, what, 13 goals in 16 games, I think I tweeted out today, and that's combined Europa League and uh, Serie A, and I think that's amazing because it just speaks for how efficient and effective he's been with Lazio. Without Immobile, this team is really dysfunctional. I don't get how a team has become so Immobile dependent. And it speaks levels because we always think that Savage and Alberto are such the key to this team. And, and they, they are a, a vital part, but maybe Immobile is just more important compared to the rest of the players on this team. And his ability to track back and help the defense, his ability to, to make those runs where the midfield can make those passes into those areas where he knows where to be. He's the, the, the key to making other players better when they're playing. So having Immobile back on Sunday is crucial. And you know what? I have to give credit to Sorry because I'm okay with losing against Juventus if it meant to not play Immobile and try something different. He tried a false nine. We saw what happened. He tried a four different attacking tridents. And I've always preached that I'm okay with seeing a Raul Morrow, say, 18-year-old player coming in and playing if it means to lose compared to, like, having to play Mobley, get him hurt, you lose him for six more games, and you still lose the match. That's the Inzaghi mentality where we are so accustomed in five past seasons where you get frustrated, like, oh, why didn't Cataldi come on to the pitch? And and I'll say another thing about for sorry actually, is that I'm actually impressed the fact that he's been playing kids. He gave Luca Romero an opportunity. I know it's only like 15 minutes he played, but still, a 16-year-old who's now 17 just recently gives a chance. Raul Marl, I just said, 18 years old, has played in multiple matches. A guy who uh, he never gave the chance, and I hate the, the reasoning of he's not a striker, he's a winger. I don't care. In the final six games of the season last year, he could have played but he chose to play Seno Lulic and Marco Parolo because it's their goodbye from Lazio. I don't care if it's your goodbye. You are supposed to look towards the future to see what these young kids can do, and opportunities and matches are irrelevant now, and he never did. And I don't even care if he played as a striker beside Immobile. You, you just don't know what you have until you try it, and I think that's where Sarri has really done the best is he's playing players 
that a lot of people wouldn't expect to see him do. Again, we'll go back to Cataldi now. We did Lucas Leva for the first X amount of games as a regista. No disrespect to the guy. He is not a regista. He is one of the best CDMs in Serie A, I would say, in the last four seasons. The numbers speak for themselves. He's a good tackler. He can intercept balls. He can do clearances. He does everything that you want as a defender, but not as a regista. He's not a playmaker. He can't create passes. He can't move the ball quickly as as he would like, like a Jorginho say. Two different players. He brings in Cataldi, a guy who never had the chance under Inzaghi, another guy, was sparingly used. Different roles. Never had a, a cemented position. Sorry, figures out. Let me try this guy, Regista. And good on Cataldi. He took the 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 challenge. He's earned the role. He's now a starter, and he's kind of finally found himself homegrown too, which is nice. Under in, in, in Lazio, where he now has a permanent position, and I think that's really really important for him, considering that he's been with the team for like many years now, and now he's he's carving himself as a key leader to this team. So th- those are a lot of good qualities I've seen from Sorry, With the losses, I think the, the losses earlier in the season is, is a contribution of the team still trying to figure it, itself out. But uh, those are some things that I, that I really have been impressed as well. But with Immobile too, he has a really good track record against Napoli. And uh, this is another reason why I'm very happy he is back and ready to play on Sunday because he has six goals in six straight City on matches. And to add more to that, in the past eight matches, he has gotten at least a goal or assist against Napoli. So that just tells you how important he is to Lazio versus Napoli. Like, our record is terrible against Napoli, like, very bad. We have two wins in the last, like, 10, 15 games, I'll say. And Immobile is needed. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost wish that Immobile was like Toto Di Natale where he would just somehow get an injury every time they would have to play Napoli because Immobile always seems to kill us. You mentioned, you know, how important he is. I think when you remove Immobile from that squad, you really see the difference. And, and you're right, he makes the players around him better. Whereas there are other players, you know, we talked about Luis Alberto where as good as the chemistry is between him and Immobile, we saw Sadi going back to that rotation, use Toma Basic, I think, against Inter, and he worked out really well there. So I feel like Immobile is the one guy that really makes a big difference when you take him out of the lineup. The other goal that was scored midweek in the Europa League was scored by Pedro. Sadi said after the match that he's a phenomenal player. When Lazio signed Pedro, were you expecting him to play such an important role? Yes, I, I, I did expect that for one reason, because we didn't have any wingers. Going from a 3-5-2 to a 4-3-3, we expected, in hindsight, like Joaquin Correa wasn't going to be sold. He would play left wing. We would use Correa, Felipe Anderson, and Pedro. And then the sale happened, Correa left, and Z- Matias Zakani came. Matias Zakani needs time. He had two injuries. No need to panic about him. I think this is a good signing. I will be honest. I would have preferred that they sign Joseph Brecolo just based on what I've been able to see, what he's done at Torino. But I guess it's easy to say that after everything's done. So 
I never really watched the Bundesliga, so it's it's not a fair assessment to make on on Iguitare. As for Pedro, the numbers don't lie. He he was successful in 2018-19, but sorry, on, at Chelsea. And we say that sorry can't get the best out of players, and he doesn't have those people skills. Maybe the relationship between him and Pedro is is unique that they already have that bond based on the past. And not only that, just sorry knows how to get the best out of Pedro. Like when I watch him play, he is on another level. When he played at Roma, the guy was invisible. Like other than scoring a phenomenal goal versus Lazio in in the Rome Derby, the guy was invisible. Like he just didn't provide much. And maybe it was the fact that Fonseca's, just didn't use him right. Maybe it was the fact that the team was just lost in the dressing room. I don't know, maybe a combination of many things. But with Lazio, it, it looks as if he's really benefiting playing beside Cheeto as well. You got to say that. But he's embracing the role as a leader. And I think another thing that's helping him is that he's willing to make the players around him better because he's played in a 4 3 3 and not just ordinarily just the formation, but the formation of what Sari is expecting. So that's really helped him. But I never expect him to be this good, I'll admit. Yeah, that was his fifth goal in all competitions. I think before the Juve match, he had scored in three straight games as well. So he's definitely firing on all cylinders. Before we get to the starting lineups, I want to ask you about Lazio's defense. You touched on it a little bit earlier with Sadi playing a bit more defensively, but Lazio have already conceded 21 goals this season, which is more than any other club in the top eight. Are you concerned that Lazio are conceding too many goals? I'm more concerned about the time it's taking for the back end to adapt to a back four. And it's funny because I'll go back to Inzaghi. Everyone always got frustrated with the 3-5-2. It became still. Why don't we go to a back four? Well, there. We're seeing a back four now. It doesn't matter if it's a back four with Nzagi or a back four with, with Sorry, it, it takes time to go from a center back to a right back, a left back, and a right center back, and a left center back in a back four. Your role is different. I think that with Acherby and uh, Luis Felipe, it took some time. Acherby's looked much better now. Felipe's been our best defender this season. And you got Matisic and Lazzari who have been – in and out, kind of rotating on the right side, and whose side playing on the left. I prefer whose side to play on the right, but considering, I guess, he he was signed to play on the left, and I'm really shocked that has been the case. But um, it's a back end that just needs time to kind of adapt with each other too because whose side has never played with uh, a Cherby or a Felipe and Matisic and Lazzari kind of playing in a new role. Respect to Modisic, he's played a right back, he's played a left, sorry, right wing back, left wing back, he's played center back, but now he's going to play as a right back. So, and then he's played a left back this season too. So, and you got Latsky again, like I said, he, he's a wing back, but he's really not been tested as a center back or a full back. So, that's kind of a big transition. So, there's a lot of great areas in this back end that, on top of that, Maturby's not getting any younger too. So, the it started off very slow for him, but it's kind of been better. So a lot of great areas and um, the back end still has some certain weaknesses, but um, it is what it is, right? Yeah, the the matchup of Lazzari against Insignia is going to be a really interesting one. 
you mentioned Hisai. He might have a little extra motivation for this match. I'm not sure if you saw this, but this week uh, the courts ruled that he would have to pay Napoli 40,000 euros for his involvement in the uh, mutiny in 2019. So I think he might have a little extra fire under him. I think Latu are fortunate that Victor Osiman isn't playing because I think he would be just an absolute nightmare matchup for Echadibi and Luis Felipe, where neither of them are that quick, right? And uh, you mentioned Luis Felipe's played well. I'm shocked that he's been able to stay healthy, but that's good to see. Instead, those guys will be marking either Mertens or Petania, who are, are much easier to defend, obviously, than Victor Osiman. So with that, who do you have as your starting 11 for Latu in this match? I'll start with the back end. Unfortunately, Peperena should be Thomas Trakosha. I'm sorry. After that disastrous slide tackle on Kiez, I was hoping he got suspended for that, but it wasn't uh, unfortunate. So in the back four, we'll go Latsidi on the right. In, in the middle, Acherby and Luis Felipe on the left is Husai. In midfield, we're going to go Luis Alberto. Cataldi, Sergei Malinkovic-Savic. Up front, it's going to be Matias Zakani, Chiro Immobile, and Felipe Anderson. Now, I could be wrong. It wouldn't be surprised if Pedro started and not Felipe Anderson, and I'll say why. Pedro's dealing with a back injury, and Felipe Anderson is not 100% either. Sorry, has been rotating them really properly, playing half and like a, a half each. So I'm gonna go. I'll say that Pedro comes off the bench, and I'll go Sakani, Immobile, and uh, Felipe Anderson. Yeah, the wingers are the hardest to predict. You know, yeah. two out of those three guys will start. I you could even make a, an argument for maybe Pedro playing on the left mm. and Felipe Anderson on the right because Sakani has played two games in a row, two in in yeah. a matter of four days or whatever, and he just got back from an injury. So you don't want to to overuse him. Uh, I'll quickly run through who I think will start for Napoli, which is not that difficult given the the situation we're in. I think David Ospina will start in goal. We'll have our usual back four of Koulibaly and Rachmani at center back, Mario Rui at left back, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo at right back. Diego Demme tested negative for COVID this weekend. He trained on Friday, but he hasn't played since November 4th. So I think Lobotka will start again in the midfield. Fabian Ruiz completed the full training on Friday, so I think he's going to start alongside Lobotka in the double pivot. That will allow Zielinski to move back to the number 10 where he's more comfortable. Lorenzo Insigne also completed the full training on Friday, so he'll start on the left wing. Matteo Politano still has not tested negative for COVID, so Chucky Lozano will start again on the right wing. And then the big question is who will start at striker between Patania and Mertens. They both played the full 90 minutes midweek against Spartak Moscow, which isn't great. If Mertens starts, then we'll see the most prolific players for both of these clubs in action between Immobile and Mertens, and we both call them Chiro. But I'm going to go with Petania simply because he's younger, so he should be able to recover quicker than Mertens would. But I'm almost certain that they both make an appearance at some point in this match. All right, Jerry, before I let you go, let's quickly do some predictions. How do you think this match is going to end? I'm actually going to add one thing that I didn't say, and then maybe you would like to know. Adam Marisic still has COVID. Nothing's been confirmed yet that he's cleared. So that's that's another thing I forgot to mention. That That's why Latsidi did not play on Thursday, and Patrick started at right back. So another good move by Sari, thinking about Napoli and giving other players a chance. So you know what? No Marisic, so 
at this point. I haven't seen anything. I'm going to go Napoli 2-1, even though their their past two matches haven't been the greatest. I think they turn it around. Lazio can't win it in Napoli. They, they just, something about it. They only have two wins as a visitor this season. Their road form is really bad. So I'm going to go Napoli 2-1. That's actually the exact same prediction I had. Uh, I had goals from Insignia and Lozano for Napoli and Immobile for Lazio. I don't know if I'd make that prediction if this match wasn't being played at the Maradona, but for me, that's what tips it in Napoli's favor. There will be a ceremony before the match to honor Diego Maradona on the first anniversary of his passing, including officially unveiling Domenico Sepe's statue of Maradona. I'm hoping that gives the players some added motivation, but in truth, I don't think they need any more motivation. After dropping points to Hellas Verona and Inter in our last two matches, this is a must-win for me. We were fortunate that Milan dropped points in their last two matches as well, but I think if we lose this, we're going to go into full crisis mode, whereas if we win, everyone can take a breath at least until we play Sassuolo midweek. That's all we have time for today, Jerry. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. You can find Jerry on Twitter at jmancini8. You can find me on Twitter at joe underscore fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back next week to review this match and to preview the Sassuolo match. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.